Well, welcome everybody to New Polities Podcast. We are breaking from tyranny to talk about the great, uh, what do you say, the conqueress of tyrants. The Immaculate Mary. Conception. Yep. Happy Immaculate Conception. Andrew, day, you're buddy. looking, you're, if you lost weight, something's different. <laughs> you know what? And a bit more hair. Yeah. But I got this sweet sweater. <laughs> a bit. I call this my conqueress sweater. Yeah. Uh, Jacob pulled me aside and said, look, Andrew is deathly ill. And the worst part about it is, of course, that we don't have a podcast. So we looked at our near future and saw that it was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception coming up and thought, what better thing to um, idly uh, exchange words about in in the hopes of being right? (laughs) Although I have to say, with this particular topic, I don't I, I, I come as a fan. You know? Oh no! Yeah, we're both fanboys in this. Our our input is purely enthusiastic. I would say, <laughs> not experts. You know, we we really just like we like the Immaculate Conception. We like Mary a lot. Yeah, she rocks. Um, you talk about the things that you like a lot. You do, whether um, other people like you too or not. Yeah, you do. Well, you know, you've kind of noticed that, right? Amongst like certain people in town. I mean, take that uh, take that one guy who like lives nearby us, who always talks about that one thing with the stuff. That's right. Yeah, you know, you're just like, that's a bit much. <laughs> you know? Anyways, we're going to do that to you. And uh, if you find this unproductive, well, guess what? Scott Hahn has a YouTube channel of his own and you can go listen to that. And he has some great things to say about Mary. But primarily what we wanted to talk about was trying to figure out why or how rather the kingship of Christ is paralleled in the queenship of Mary um, in and through her immaculate nature. Mm. Um, and it is kind of strange. I mean, I would just kind of toss this off. Again, not as an expert. I don't really know what I'm talking about. But it's it's very strange that um, her apparitions are usually contextualized around certain huge problems in the social order. Mm. So Guadalupe, uh, there there's all of these towns that are um, administered by Aztec pagans. Uh, human sacrifices are required in the towns. Uh, they're building new temples. Sons of California. Sorry. Baja, baby. And uh, and she and she you know shows up then right. and says, "No, we need a new temple. We need a new form of worship." Yeah. Uh, liberalism is taking over France. Uh, pretty much the entire country is apostate at this at this point. The the um, the Pope says that if any uh, if any priest is taking these uh, uh, these creed these like creedal devotional mm. forms to the state, that uh, his his faculties are automatically invalid. Uh, she shows up there, revealing herself as the immaculately conceived one. Uh, you, then you know in Fatima the same thing. The heirs of Russia. You know what, guys? Sorry, your liberalism in France didn't work, but you, you know your communism in Russia won't work either. Yeah. Um, she's she keeps interceding um, for us, but you know constantly in in her hidden, quiet uh, form, and that is like the main way that we approach her as queen. But sometimes she approaches us. Yeah. Um, in these times of of like hyper need. Yeah, I mean, it, Andrew Jones and his work starts to describe what just rule looks like and one of the things that at at least is was unfamiliar to me Mm -hmm. um but certainly resonated as as being so true that i was angry that i hadn't heard of it before is that 
the just rule is characterized by being a kind of um, intervention mm. as opposed to a kind of constant presence. Right. So what I mean is, um, and, we, and we do say, and it's true, that Mary's care, her love, her um, attention to her children is constant. Uh, but when she has some particular words, some didactic thing that we need to do, like, hey, you really need to fast and pray the rosary. Hey, you really need to stop believing in, yeah. uh, in the heirs of communism or whatever it was. Um, that's It's a rare event. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we think of... Um, we don't think of Mary as ruling. Queen means something sort of nice. It's like an honor to her, but it's not an office of yeah. care that she exerts on us in any way. Um, but this, I think, is one of the ways in which that's revealed is pretty false. Like, and she does rule. And in the same way that um, the just ruler intervenes precisely when uh, it becomes necessary, um, it does not try to order our free wills apart from our freedom, it doesn't try to order our social, um, our creative social orders uh, from this top-down sort of centralized mode of governance. But as one of us, as a human being, um, is excited by the whole human project, and then when it goes into such grave air, intervenes, it's, we have an image of a truly just sovereign, I think. Yeah. Which is sweet. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it actually is it is surprising in, in a certain way that even within uh, God's cosmic order, which he does, in which he does sustain all things in being and, right. and does set the order of things, that, that when it pertains to the church, he gives so much freedom oh to gosh, it. Yeah. The, you know, the commandments of what you bind here on earth is bound. In you know, and, it, and it's the time of year for that being called into question because everyone's <laughs> like, Jesus was born in September. Probably. That's like, whatever, man. The church says what she wants. <laughs> that's how That's how much power Jesus granted to his apostles. That he's like, and you can even get my birthday wrong. <laughs> and it will be law. <laughs> Not many people allow you to do that. Yeah. It's true. I, I don't. Maybe we should do friends. that for one another, you know? I like will deliberately. Be like, happy birthday, Mark. <laughs> there, there might be a difference in the relation between Christ and his you church. Didn't and you didn't give me that power, yeah. did you? Yeah. Not yet. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> but, but, but I think that is actually true. I mean, we've talked, you know, and written quite a bit about the necessity of freedom for somebody to actually grow in virtue. You actually have to will the good. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't get there based on fear. You can't get there based on force. You really have to get there purely based on love. Yeah. And so to be able to have a separation from the sovereign who is, and here I'm talking of a human sovereign, uh, that is setting the order of the ways in which you should go um, versus him saying, you know, do as you will, love as you will, find the peace creatively. Um, and if you get it wrong, well, then I got to step in. Mm -hmm. so, you know, that that is in this real profound sense, the creative control that God is giving us within his church and the participation that he has actually uh, called us to and, and ordained us for. And I know you think it's a little bit Marian, like it has that, that kind of rule. Like we say like Mary is a good ruler, but really it's like good rule kind of post New Testament has a Marian flavor. I mean, exactly. she, she was the one that, that, that said, you know, when she got really amped about the whole thing that God was doing, uh, she said she broke that song. she broke into song and in her Magnificat talked to, about um, the the man, I'm forgetting the mighty, the thrones, the being, 
Yeah, cast laid off. low, cast yeah. off. Yeah. Crowns, help me out the here. The rich, you have sent away. Rich empty. sent away empty. But she has a specific, I think, critique of um, power coming from this kind of top-down approach, which we would largely associate with tyranny. Maybe we're not that far from the tyranny uh, discussion okay, yeah. here. But Mary turns it on her head and says that, as the Book of Sirach says, God. Oh, shoot, it's not there. <laughs> he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mm. He loved to hear it. So what I wanted to do, and I don't, you know, maybe they want us to do something else, but what I wanted to do, yeah, sorry to be greedy here, um, is to ask primarily what? Primarily. Primarily. No, you don't get it. Primarily. Oh, I didn't get it. <laughs> I wasn't oh. just making fun of your voice. That was so mean. <laughs> Well, if, if the true sovereign is somebody that is supposed to reset us along the path of virtue, right? Um, then where, what is, okay, well, I'm, I have to just say that I'm stealing this right from so many conversations we've had. Um, you've worked a lot on the role of woman, mm. the, actu- the, the real um, purpose of gender mm. and the genders that God gave us. Mm-hmm. To live in and to um, and to become holy with, and you and, and primarily you have this the thesis on the role of woman that I, I want to talk about, but maybe more so in the context of um, the interventionary yeah. sovereign, if yeah. we can call it that, and and Mary's role as yeah. as the great queen that intervenes on our behalf. Yeah, thanks thanks for just giving me a platform. There you is. I. Uh... I've been working on this for a while, and I won't provide um, all of the justifications because I probably can't. So if this seems a little bit um, bold of an interpretation or, or stupid, I would say... Wait for your book. Wait for the book. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want a copy of the dissertation, I can send it, but I can't guarantee it's typo-free. Um, yeah, the, the common interpretation of the creation of the woman is sort of that it's a salve or a, a, a help to Adam's loneliness, that there's a kind of incompleteness um, in the male apart from the female. Obviously, this is true. But there's another tradition that looks at it and sees a certain danger in um, man being created alone because one of the things that characterizes God is his self-sufficiency or mm-hmm. just his sufficiency. He's perfect in himself. He's perfectly comprehending himself. One of the ways I think you normally hear this is when someone says, like, God didn't need to create. He was happy. <laughs> he created out of a, an abundance of his happiness. And so whenever we look at each other and we're like, wow, we're here. It's like, yes, yeah, because God was so happy that he did something he didn't need to do. Um, I've always found that to be marvelous. But man, man's not like that, right? So we don't, we don't have um, that kind of self-sufficiency because first and foremost, we're created. We're not God. We we come from his hand and were he to stop thinking of us, there we'd go. That is, we'd stop existing or, or, or being, I suppose. Um, but he does think of us and <laughs> and it's wonderful. Um, so man's not God. We're not like that. And, and woman is um, also not God. So also doesn't have that kind of sufficiency. But you hear that, dear? Sorry, what? <laughs> but what, what man and woman are to each other is the revelation of that fact. So what I mean is there's a story. The Jews like to tell this story. Rashi is who I usually get it from, but it's it's earlier um, than, than that particular medieval rabbi that 
when man was uh, walking in the garden, um, all of the animals wanted to sing um, the song, uh, Sanctus to him to, uh, oh, wow. yeah. to proclaim him as the Holy One. Mm. And this temptation of creation to worship man was the uh, impetus for the creation of woman. Um, so when Rashi talks about the verse, it is not good for man to be alone, he's not saying like, it's not pleasant. He's saying like, this is the first possible uh, moment of sin, idolatry. Yeah. We got to take this uh, moment of temptation away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Therefore woman, right? Yeah. Obviously, I, I'm not saying this is like a, a historically direct, you know, story, but it, it gets at this truth that um, man n is never so sure that he is not God as when he realizes he is twofold, a twofold phenomenon. He doesn't have that perfection. Uh, you can never really say that I am male without a reference to um, the female and vice versa. Mm. But in the order of history, it's, as Paul says, man that was created first. Um, and so w when we speak of woman as being a particular revelation of the fact that man is not God, um, that he's insufficient, a protection, as it were, against self-idolatry, um, we're talking about a role given to women. Now, I, we hesitate, I think, sometimes to use this because sometimes people hear role and they're like, well, I can think of this way in which man, male, is a revelation of the uh, insufficiency of woman. So how can it be her role, not his? But I'm not, I'm not talking in, in that sort of essential terminology. I, I'm just talking in terms of um, um, history. Mm. The point is that woman was given to man. Mm -hmm. And so she has this historical role um, that that's real. And that goes on into the whole story of salvation, which is that um, woman is the one who most apparently shows um, in her difference and in her particular actions that that man is not God. Um, one place where I see it, and I have a Bible here, that I think it's pretty cool is that is in the wisdom literature of the Bible where wisdom and the law gets a feminine personification. Mm -hmm. You know about this? Yeah, the yeah. kind of um, wisdom is a she is a she, and 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 fascinatingly, she, uh, she's a she that the king, in order to be a just king, is supposed to fall in love right. with and oh, wed. Great point. Yeah. Right. So there's this queen wisdom uh, is really being referred to the one who's married to the queen, uh, or the one who's married to the king, but this queen is maybe mm. it's an elusive character in the wisdom literature for sure. So I'm not giving an interpretation that discounts others. But this one verse I'll read, which I think is really fascinating because it says, it's talking about uh, wisdom and it says, oh wait, no, that's not the right verse. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, make something up. It's profound. Rats. No, okay, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll say what it was. Um, it says that uh, no, it's in Syrac. It's in Syrac. I know it to be in Syrac. All right, I'm going to make it up. This is awful. You can do it. Um, can you look that up, Will? <laughs> I think that said, has, it's, has the internet. It says that, um, it's talking about wisdom, lady wisdom, and says that she was there in the beginning. Um, when the first formed father of the world was created to right. protect him from his transgression. Now, 
that's a wild verse because yeah. as much as we can definitely say that wisdom is associated with the Holy Spirit, that wisdom really is what it says, divine wisdom, um, that we can say that wisdom, as the Assyric does say, is the law, mm -hmm. the law of Moses. There is this moment here where it's saying that wisdom had something directly to do with the first formed father of the world, Adam, right? Um, to protect him from his transgression, right? Now we know that the transgression especially for the Jews who had this history of, of doing this particular transgression, is idolatry. Um, and so we can say that when Eve was created, created without sin, mm -hmm. when she was created, it wasn't without mission. What I mean is when God creates without sin, there's a way you can just describe that negatively, right? Like It's just, of course, he was not going to create sin. But there's also a sense of mission that we are, you know, in the garden to keep it, to till it. And part of that is keeping the law of the garden. And that this can be described after the fact as a protection from transgression, right? A, a keeping of each other away from the transgression of idolatry. In, in the case that I'm talking about, the idolatry of seeing oneself as like God. This gives new flavor, I think, to the whole story under the tree, that when Eve um, decides to be like God, tries to be like God, disobeys the commandment, it's not just like a sin that happens to have been committed by a woman. Rather, it's precisely a shirking of the original vocation of the woman to protect the firstborn father of the world from his transgression, right? And when she mm -hmm. gives the fruit, it's not this um, sort of extrinsic thing. It's not like it somehow has no symbolic quality. It's like her giving the fruit to Adam is in fact the completion of that sin because not it's not just something she's doing for herself. It's it's a forsaking of the original role of being visibly and in her actions the evidence that man is insufficient. Right. Which is why when when um when their eyes are opened and it's revealed that they've sinned and that this vocation to protection from idolatry has failed, the first thing that they do is they clothe their sexual difference. Right? Like that that thing which was supposed to image the fact or show forth the fact that you can't have man without woman, you can't have woman without man, is precisely what gets covered. So going forth, um, it becomes a little more difficult for a woman to, in herself, be the evidence of um, man's insufficiency. Uh, and then oh. you go forth into salvation history. Okay, so that that's quite, quite striking. How much of that is... Uh, I mean, symbolically loaded versus actually. So in, in the case of um, <coughs> man being married to wisdom, mm. okay, that, that makes, you know, good sense theoretically, of course. If, if man going on his path of cultivating this world, um, creating a temple unto God, doing that in, in the right orientation, he needs wisdom to mm. be able to do that. Um, as soon as wisdom does not, as in a real personified active in person shirks her responsibility mm -hmm. man goes off the path mm -hmm. so does she in, mm -hmm. in insofar as she has rescinded her responsibility mm -hmm. um when it comes to the the clothing is that is just a, a, a in a certain sense a symbolic measure of being able to um mediate in itself, what has happened? So a symbol obviously has two folds. It, it's it signifies, yeah. um, well, it 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 signifies a what it affects. B, you yeah. know, 
And so insofar as it's signifying something, there is the covering. Mm-hmm. But but what is what is the effect um, there? Um, well, I think the effect, if I understand you correctly, mm-hmm. is apparent in that man is more prone to idolatry. So w- okay. what you see is a disruption of the original social order, which is the human family, yeah. um, which <laughs> there's a lot that could be said here. I'm trying to like pare it all down. Um, the effect of no longer of of a mutual shirking of this self-revelation of se- like what sexual difference is for, which is to show each to the other that we're not God, mm-hmm. um, leads directly to what you might expect, which is the continued attempt to find ways to appear like God. Um, so okay, that's that's all I'm saying. Okay, that's cool. So when we talk about the political significance cool. of 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 woman, what we're talking about is you know, she was made to resist tyranny. And when we go on the Bible, it can be kind of odd. It's like, man, there's a lot of stories in here about women cutting off the heads of tyrants. It's just like they're pounding tent pegs into their heads and they're slicing up their heads and they're throwing rocks at their heads and they're just hanging them. And there's just like a lot of aggression against the tyrannical head by women. Like, and, and you know, Wisdom has to get in their head somehow, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, that's, that's actually exactly right. Um, so, okay. So there's obviously this theme. And when God, when we talk about the Immaculate Conception, um, we're talking about the creation of a sinless woman. And, and another way that Catholics love to speak about this is in the creation of a new Eve. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't accidental. It's What's being referred to is that just as a sim- sinless woman was created with a vocation right? Not just arbitrarily in the same way you would create like a, another sex of animal mm. for the sake of reproduction, say. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way, Mary is, well, not in the same way, but in a glorious and and fulfilling way, Mary is created as another sinless woman with the same vocation. And not even the same vocation, with, with the direct charge of um, undoing uh, Eve's sin, or another way to put it is with fulfilling what Eve left unfulfilled, right? And and what and what all of humanity, as the family going through salvation history, became increasingly degraded as relationships between man and woman became increasingly less revelatory, even to the point of you know injustices like harem um, mm. became normal. Uh, that as woman was more more less and less able going through salvation history to image the insufficiency of man. Um, into this, God throws a sinless woman um, who's um, not simply going to make an argument against tyranny um, and idolatry, but is actually going to end it for all time by giving birth to our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's what I think is important about the Immaculate Conception. And maybe, maybe it's what's missed because there's a lot of preoccupation with um, original sin considered as a sort of stain on the soul, like like uh, purity considered merely as the absence of sin, you know, pure, right. purity apart from the reason for purity or the vocation of purity, as it were. Well, no, I think that's actually key because a lot of people talk about the Immaculate Conception as a superfluous doctrine. Well, the ones that don't think that you're just talking about the, the uh, conception of Jesus. Right, yeah. Exactly. The ones that know we're talking about 
the moment Mary was conceived. <laughs> Do often talk about it as a superfluous doctrine. Yeah, doctrine. yeah. The whole like, wait, he was conceived 17 days before his birth. You know, those people. <laughs> sorry, I don't think they're listening to this. They might be. And to them, they probably I'm sorry logged that off you're by 20 now. 20 minutes in, yeah. <laughs> Getting uh, roasted. But, <laughs> but I know. I think there is something that seems superfluous about the immac- immaculate conception, and many Catholic apologists will say things like you know, why is it that she was immaculately conceived and why is it that uh, it was appropriate for her to be immaculately conceived without like St. Anne, her mother, also needing to be immaculately conceived so that mm-hmm. there's this great line back all the way, I guess, to Eve, mm. which wouldn't be possible. Right, so I see uh, some problems with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that would be, would preserve like an absolutely pure mm. line. And and they'll, you know, the the average Catholic apologist and very good Catholic apologist, I don't mean to demean it at all, um, will say things like, well, it's not so much that it was necessary that it be this way as it is most fitting mm-hmm. that it's this way. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's actually extremely illuminating. And But we only understand why it's fitting in the context of the original vocation of man mm-hmm. and and the newly empowered vocation of man with the sacraments and in the form of mary and in the form of christ yeah. as rather than in the form of of natural man yeah i think sometimes man. we lose the context of of all of this christmas talk and and why the American conception is now um mm. it's we have to remember that mary joseph jesus became a holy family under a tyranny under a census under a great tax that um, when Mary gave her Magnificat and talked about the end of tyranny and how Jesus would be the destruction of this power that is for the sake of private gain as opposed to for the weak, um, that, uh, <laughs> I mean, this stuff has its purpose. Yeah. And, and, and just as we see when we talked about the kind of interventions Mary makes in the social order, it's, it's what she does. You know what I mean? It's like it, the resistance to tyranny is what she does. It's not just an accident. Now, of course, I have to back up because that can seem kind of um, reductive, right? It's obviously not the only thing she does. <laughs> um, and, and we have to be careful to speak about it in the in its full, um, I, don't, I almost want to say like ontological meaning, like God becoming man in her is what enables us to know for sure that no other man can claim to be God over us. Mm. Like Jesus Christ puts an end to tyrants because he paradoxically says, okay, you want to be like God? Man wants to be like God. Man wants to be like God. He's doing everything to be like God. He's trying to, everything he can do to get rid of this original revelation, man to woman, that... Get rid of scarcity, get rid of the problems of, of death, get rid of, you know... Yeah, and we see it today, right? Like, we obviously want to be God. Rule. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Jesus says, okay, you're God now, but in me, um, God becomes man, man doesn't become God. And so paradoxically, we can actually have the good that the sin aims at, which is divinity, but through um, theosis and not through idolatry. Hmm. Uh, And that is the kind of ontological way, you might say, in which Mary puts an end to all tyranny. But the point is, it's never just this structural, it's never just this big picture, it's always you know, 
you can always at the same time say that she actively helps us against sins which accrue to tyranny which actively helps nations who mm. are in danger of being of being you know falsely pursuing the image of god in that way by trying to be lord over over people yeah so just let's just back up for mm. one one second and and um i want to go back to the king needing wisdom yeah. Um, in the Old Testament. Because I think w- another thing that people often hear around um, the doctrines of Mary and the biblical context of, of many of these doctrines yeah. is her role as the queen mother, mm-hmm. um, which of course has a context within the Near East, um, kind of uh, actually the order of, of the temple rule. Mm-hmm. So in amongst the Hittites, amongst the... Uh, Ugarites amongst the Mesopotamians, the kings married a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And obviously you see this in, in biblical Israel as well. And so the queen would not so much be seen as the wife of the of the king, but rather uh, the, the, the what's the term, the gabira, the, in, in Hebrew of the, the queen is actually the mother. She's the one who constantly comes to the king as in this advisory role to send him along like the right path i mean even in the uh the epic of gilgamesh which you like so much uh the mother of gilgamesh is, is considered to be the one who has knowledge of all things mm. um so there is this 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 t- intertwined relationship that's even seen perhaps in the perverted pagan world mm-hmm. of the of the queen being wisdom who is able to direct the king upon the right path. So mm-hmm. you have a, like almost you would say a perversion of, um, of the right relationship that is spoken yeah, about in Syria. No, it's, so. it's awesome when you and when you get to the the biblical um, sort of inversion of of that concept. What's fascinating is that wisdom, as the wife of the king, is always a limitation. Hmm. Um, so it's for the Jews, wisdom was equivalent with the law of Moses. So it wasn't just this abstract airy, like wisdom is knowing the essences of, of things or whatever. Uh, that's not actually that abstract, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, there's a specific line that after the big praise of wisdom, which I really hope is in Syriac now, because if it's not, we're in huge trouble. Will Uh, you find it? Is it in Syriac? It's not in Syriac. Where is it? Wisdom? Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> this is the beauty of uh, not being able to look things up. You know, we don't have our we don't have our smartphones or anything. Um, I have my dumb phone and it's ringing. Oh, it is. Yeah, timely. A timely intervention from I hope the queen, the queen mother. Can't. Sorry, Robbie Pretzel. <laughs> um, in the wisdom literature, where the king is married to wisdom wisdom is just said to be the law so after this great praise of wisdom um you know she was there in the beginning she was there to protect the first foreign father of the earth from her transgression it says and all this is the law Mm. so a lot of analogical levels here but this would have made great sense because this was being directed to a king being told to marry wisdom and the practice of the kings of israel was supposed to be i'm not sure how often they practice to quite literally tie the law, a copy of the law, to their arm. 
This mm-hmm. comes from the Deuteronomical injunctive that the king was supposed to have a copy of the book of the law that he makes for himself. So he yeah, actually writes write out a copy so that he learns it um, and that this is always at his side. Um, very, I, I think probably if you could find someone that actually wants to do the biblical scholarship work, it's probably where the queen mother sat. <laughs> I bet. Because <laughs> that would make sense. Because um, Well, isn't that what Solomon says to his mother that she, when she comes in here to sit at my side? Yeah, yeah. Sits her down right there. Right. And I think the, the law of Moses was probably um, tied to the arm on that side of the king. Going to make a big guess there. Um the point being that right when you look at <laughs> – so you look at the law of, of Moses and you, and so you ask yourself, okay, so he's married to this woman who is wisdom, who is somehow sinless Eve, who is the law. What is the law? Well, it's this limitation on kingship that keeps it human. It's again this reminder that no – powers to sort of imitate God in this didactic way. Do you think that, I mean, in the larger political theology that we've been working in, law is not so much a limitation as it is a direction. It like points us in in the direction that we should go as an orientation. Well, yeah, it teaches us for sure. And I can see that as something that would forever place, if there is a fulfillment of, of woman and law, law and woman, you know, woman and queenship. Yeah then I could see that as something that extends forever into heaven and even, you know, prior to, to any fall. Yeah. Do you want to phrase it that way or is well, that I would, the reason you want to put I guess limitation? I would agree, but um, I would just say that keeping man from idolatry. Tough work. Always just takes man where he's at, which is why sometimes keeping man from idolatry means sneaking into his tent and cutting his head off. Because you're really going to keep him there. <laughs> yeah, because he actually thinks he's a god. Right. Uh, his kingship is actually thoroughly tyrannical, and he doesn't have a chance, mm-hmm. a human chance, anyways, at um, doing otherwise. And so you kill him. And the reason I think that's important as a kind of endpoint is to say that the law is like this: that it, the divine law, the law of Moses, is for an idolatrous people. So when I say that it's a limitation, yeah, it's orientated towards its own fulfillment and virtue. And in that sense, I think you're absolutely right. It's a it's a teacher, it's a guide. But look at the law, look at Deuteronomy. It's telling kings like, hey, can't have a lot of silver and gold. You can't have horses and chariots. Yep. You can't amass wives. You got to read this book every night that's going to tell you all these things. You know what I mean? So it's not when I when I when I'm being very literal. I'm just saying that the law that kings are married to in the Old Testament is a law that's constantly telling them to not behave like pagan kings and to not have this um, this idolatrous imitation of the divine that manifests itself as just trying to have as much power over others as possible. This is forbidden by law. Like if you do the things that kings are supposed to do by law, you will not become a king that can possibly think he's divine. Mm. You don't have enough money. You're not allowed to amass it. You don't have enough of an army. You're not allowed to keep a standing army. You have to muster everybody every time. And then the other tribes might be like, yeah, we're not coming today. <laughs> yeah, you feel like a god now? No, not like not like someone like Nebuchadnezzar, right? Who could say um, what my hand sets out to do, it will accomplish because you're so certain of your power over, over your armies and over your nation. So again, when we talk about the Immaculate Conception, I want to 
really just suggests in that kind of fanboyish way that we talked about that we live under the social queenship of Mary. And what that means is there is a place, a person in whom the original role of woman to keep us from the transgression of idolatry is actually fulfilled. Um, and that her, her continual presence is always related to man's attempt to be like God in tyranny. And so mm. it's always going to come up at these bad moments, <laughs> which I think we right. know. I think we know this. I mean, I think this has an intuitive sense that, that that's how our queen operates. Um, but maybe that's just intuitive to me because I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I think it's, it's fitting and it, may, it makes immediate sense when, you, when we do sit down to consider it. Um, and when she does usher us to correction, it is, as you said, ushering us into, into her son. You know, you know what's... Because at that point, yeah. you know, like he is the exact opposite. Of the of the benefactors of this world, the kings of this world, to lord it over us. I mean, he spends the whole time in the scriptures uh, contrasting himself with them. Yeah, <laughs> and then we're like looking at political rule and being like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> "How do we do this again?" But, but and there is, you know, the the fittingness just to kind of try and tie a few different things together. The fittingness of her immaculate yeah. conception, insofar as when we start over w with with the new law. Yeah. We're not just cutting us ourselves short of, of the That's things correct. that we're doing improperly yeah. and trying to limit the wreckage that we will rot, but rather he's making her immaculate. You know, he's he, Christ himself comes, yeah. comes from her. And there you see the beginning of the new social order, which is the family. Totally. It's not, it does not begin just with the kingdom of heaven. It actually begins with the holy family. Yep. So that when we are more and more incorporated into it, that becomes the holy kingdom of God. Totally. Underneath the king. And the yeah, king. No, yeah. That's a really, that's a really good point that I, I think it's, it's not, I, I haven't heard it preached on in particular, but it seems that the great hope in the Immaculate Conception is that the whole work of salvation is actually efficacious. I mean, mm -hmm. it's as far as this life is concerned, it's the proof we have, uh, you know, if Mary was in fact uh, conceived without original sin, um, we have the proof that the cross triumphs. So God doesn't just leave us without, you know, St. Saint, uh, Peter says, always have a reason for your hope. Maybe it was Paul. Come on. Uh, you were Saint a Protestant Paul. once. Saint Paul. Oh, yeah, I didn't remember this stuff. <laughs> So yeah. Paul says, always be prepared to give a reason for your hope. Yeah. Well, I think in a, in a, yeah, <laughs> I think in a real way, it's Mary. Like if we could take that line, a reason for our hope, that would itself be a title of Mary right alongside mystical Rose, mm -hmm. you know, um, because this self well, work is of the mother of hope. Actually, that's like one of the titles in the litany. litany. Yeah. So many good titles. Yeah. <laughs> I only have like three titles. Loser of things, <laughs> loser, just loser. <laughs> What's the third one? Um, uncle. <laughs> uh, no, I mean Mary is is the reason for our hope because we have an actual avant-garde, a kind of uh, one who goes ahead of us, as one in whom the salvific work of Christ has been efficacious. Like it, it's proven yeah. she's there mm -hmm. and i think sometimes we can think of this as simply an eschatological hope like 
um, as Mary was conceived without sin and was assumed into heaven, body and soul, so too we can hope that at the end of all things, we will also live like her. Okay, rad, totally true. But <laughs> it's also the case that her new, her sinless life, her existence as the new Eve was creative of an actual historical social order that we call the Holy Family. And then furthermore, that that Holy Family, the life of that Holy Family in the particular acts of Christ um, and in the particular governance of the Blessed Virgin um, and in the, in the leadership of Joseph isn't just this thing that happened, but it is the first instance of the church. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd be too far afield to say this, that no, here is the church, it's the Holy Family, and that as more and more of the world becomes church um, in the conversion of unbelievers, pagans, and silly people, more and more of the world is an in a direct imitation of the Holy Family. So what I mean to say is that it, it, the reason for our hope is not simply in this afterlife reality, but the Immaculate Conception um, had a family here that we are capable of approaching and imitating in a greater and greater way through becoming holy ourselves, through the um, through the church, through the sacraments, through the, the gift of God's grace unto our sanctification. So why do I say that? Well, I say that because sometimes we get the critique, and it's probably a pretty good one, that discussing a real Christian politics, like a real building of a kingdom here, something mm -hmm. that changes the way our roads and our and our stores and our armies look, mm -hmm. is a sort of pie-in-the-sky project um, because we always have the reality of human sin. And there's a certain force to this argument because it's like, yeah, you you preach the idea that, you know, instead of, industrial food production, everyone should um, be producing as much as they can through a distributed property and sharing amongst each other so that there are no poor in your land. Say we say that. Pretty much we say that. Well, what about the greedy guy? Okay, that's all well and good. And then someone, you know, hoards it all for himself and and sows weeds in your crops and because he hates you. And, and there's sin. I mean, sin is real and it ruins all of these great Christian ideas and ideals that you have. And I, I think in the Immaculate Conception, we have both the ability to acknowledge this, right? Because the Immaculate Conception was one woman, <laughs> as far as we know. I mean, there's some argument about Joseph, but we're not going to go into that. Um, this is one woman who, who is given this new social order beginning in her own being saved um, through the power of Christ. And that is something we can imitate. That Absolutely. is a human reality here. That is a material thing. I mean, that happened. That happened in Nazareth. That happened on, on a ride to Egypt. The Holy Family happened and is happening um, because we are imitating it. So when we're talking about building a political order, we're not talking about... Not because, and now we can, because it's real. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and when we talk about yeah. things starting with the family, it's not merely like, well, this is the right order of subsidiarity, though it is also that. <laughs> uh, it starts with the family because the family is precisely what we're imitating. I mean, we have to remember this. Like, it's, yes, Christ came to establish a kingdom in and through becoming a holy family with others. Um, 
And so when we have an emphasis on the ability to actually achieve Christian politics by beginning at the bottom, as it were, this isn't like a, I mean, this is what I think is the imitation of, um, the actual imitation of the Holy Family, the reason for our hope, um, and building worlds in which Holy Families can um, flourish. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a perfect place to end it. I, as you were talking about, I was thinking about the kind of iconographical tradition of, mm. of this, where when Christ says that, you know, I'm the vine, you are the branches, it's often made within a family tree, or like oh, that's wow, cool. depicted as a family tree. And, um, and of course, we are incorporated into into him and his family insofar as, as we receive him in the Holy Eucharist. But, well, but also at the foot of the cross, you know, we yeah. receive Mary, Mary as our mother. So this idea of a incorporation into a holy family isn't, isn't even just coming from like an interpretation. It's coming in some ways from the scriptures, like. Oh, no, no doubt. I mean, but there's the reality. I mean, just talking what you're speaking about, is like the historical fact that this family existed, lives and is approachable. I mean, you, you read through all these early councils and, and early declarations on on mary and and it's what's what's the the mystery that everybody's trying to get at is well god always existed but his he was himself brought into the world by her mm-hmm. it wouldn't have happened without her she she gives her flesh mm-hmm. and so in insofar as we're even receiving the eucharist in which we are brought you know into the union of, of god in his hypostatic union um, or through his hypostatic union, that means that in a sense we're also partaking of Mary in mm-hmm. that moment too. And in, in, in a true sense, we are we're tasting of the flesh that she gave to Christ. Right. Well, in that regard, she actually becomes our mother as as we enter into God through this, as you say, this this marvelous moment of theosis. We actually are brought into this family, into the holy family. We're able to fight our sins and then accept into the into the true kingdom of god as we as we repent and as we do penance and as we totally. start to get away from these structures of sins that we've create and then to build something new i think you know anyways just to your your point and then you know my end of the, the conclusion is concluding is that it is always going to be pie in the sky to have a christian vision of, of politics mm-hmm. um it will always be impossible without the sacraments but it can never be even started if it's not done through prayer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that that's just does seem to be the, the place where wisdom is, is pointing us to first. Mm. Truth. Truth. <laughs> yeah, and no, I, I, I think that Mary, New Eve, God's great gift um, before Christ, of course. Um, is going to help us all get through. And I just think it's really wonderful to have a real family that conversion brings us into, mm-hmm. that those kind of somewhat, I don't want to say that they're not lively metaphors because they are very lively to be adopted sons of the father. Um, but that this wasn't 
spoken of purely metaphorically, right? Um, that there is a human family that we are knit into, just as in the original um, order, God created one human family um, that came from sinless Adam and sinless Eve. Like this was, this was the ideal. So it's remedial in some ways that we're now um, knit into the holy family, but it's remedial in that awesome way that God does, which is it's much greater than even the thing that was being that is being remedied. <laughs> so, well, I hope you all have a happy feast of the Immaculate Conception. I hope that it inspires similar political hope in you, and I hope that we can live in a world in which Mary, our our queen needs to intervene a little less, <laughs> at least a little less didactically and, and like, hey, dummies, uh, stop stop being greedy and communistic and trying to blow things up with atom bombs. Man. What a world. It's sad that we need to be told that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty patient. <laughs> All right. Anyways, enjoy your feast, everybody. Have a good one. Happy feast day. <laughs>